Praise God. I felt this morning in prayer like I wanted to take just a moment before I preach and speak to a couple of things, a couple of items that have been in the news recently and uh, has been forefront in our country. And I know that there are people who wonder what the church would say. And I'm not here to make any sort of political statement, but I'm here to lift up the kingdom of God and to make sure that we live our life as Christians by the kingdom of God. Amen. Several days ago, as, as many of you know, there was a, a leak that came out of the Supreme Court concerning an opinion and the potential overturning of Roe versus Wade that's been the law of the land here in the United States for almost 50 years. And obviously it has pitted side against side and person against person. And the media obviously takes that and exacerbates the problem, in my opinion. However, I think it's very important that as Christians, and I know that maybe there are people here at every different juncture of your walk with God, some you are just beginning to investigate Jesus or some that you've served the Lord a long, long time. I'm very aware that there's people at every different part of the spectrum here today. But New Life Church, everything about God centers on life. everything about him. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, the word of the Lord says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. And I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. That's Old Testament. But it was Jesus in John chapter number 10 that said, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I believe as never before, people who love life and everything about life need to stand up and celebrate life and defend life. Amen. And I think it is so important that in everything we do, we do it with the right spirit. But there must be something in us that does not excuse the killing of children, but upholds life and makes that a part of a value system because it's everything that has to do with God. And so certainly we are praying for our country and we are praying for God to help us. Then yesterday we were again shook as a horrible shooting took place in Buffalo, New York. And I wanna just say this, it is unconscionable to me that a person would inflict harm on anyone, but especially for reasons of race. That's unconscionable to me. And I will say that is evil and that is sinful. We need to pray for a righteous revival in our country, which convicts men and women of sin, calls us to repent, 
and be born again and live by a higher law than just even the law of the land. Amen. Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus was questioned by a lawyer and the lawyer said, Teacher, what is the great commandment from the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Amen. We live by a higher law than what this world's law would be. And that is the law of love, of loving God with everything inside of us and also loving our fellow man as we love ourselves. I want us to pray for our country right now. And I want you to also pray for this, this sermon. I know we've already asked the Lord to anoint it, but I believe God can use it today to do something special. Would you just pray with me right now for our country? Jesus, you've given us a, a free country to live in, to worship you. I think it'd be good for us to stand and pray for the United States right now. Come on, the Bible says when Zion travails, she will bring forth. I believe there can be an intercessory prayer that will rise up from this sanctuary today. Jesus, we are praying for our country. We are praying for a righteous revival to come to this nation. Lord Jesus, we as a church and we as people, as believers, stand up for life, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that you gave us life and life more abundantly. And I pray you will cover this country right now, Lord. Let people make decisions that value life, I pray. I pray, Jesus, that you would comfort those that are so tragically hurting today because of the shooting in Buffalo yesterday. Be with those families right now, Lord. I pray, Jesus, that you would call men and women to not live by wrong precepts and evil mindsets, Lord, but you would let there be a righteous turning toward you, Jesus. I pray it in Jesus' name. I pray that we will love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we will pace the way, Lord, and show people how to live. Cultures and language groups and individuals living together, loving the kingdom, loving the name of Jesus. Let us example that in this world today, Lord. And for that, I'm going to thank you and give you all of the praise. God, be with our country right now. In Jesus' name. Turn us toward you, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. Praise God in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated during our preaching. We have a, a class for our youngest children from birth up till four years old. So if you have a child or a grandchild that fits in that category, you can step out into the atrium and our staff can direct you to where you can take them and they will be ministered to. Uh, I've enjoyed this week being a part of several events from our church, and I want to give honor to uh, Brother Jason Lumpkins for hosting our men's camp. Uh, we have men that had a great time of connection and fellowship and uh, boating and fishing and cornhole and all sorts of fun stuff, and we welcome our men back. It was great to be a part of that. And then our Flying Eagles, all of our elders met yesterday for a wonderful lunch, and the Shirley's did such a great job, and Sister Dean Williamson did a great job hosting that, that great lunch, and I always love being with our elders. I always love being with our elders, and I, I like their desserts, too. <laughs> they make good food. 
Amen. But it's great to be with, with our elders. Amen. I want to, right at the front of this sermon, to give us a recipe for longevity when it comes to this sermon. And that is simply to be able somehow between now and the end of this sermon and specifically once this service is over to be able to answer this question. What is God saying to me from these words today? And I think this would be something that would be fitting and appropriate after every sermon, after every lesson, after every time of being in the presence of the Lord where the word is being declared. Everybody say it with me. What is God saying to me? From these words that will be preached? I believe the answer to that question, if we answer it correctly, can give longevity to the impact of what is being preached today. Paul, the apostle, is writing to a young man. I will show you his words here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 in just a moment. But he is writing to a young man named Timothy, and his words are very impacting. They are extremely candid, and they are passionate. Now, I don't know about you. I think I know about you, but I'm not going to answer for you. But I appreciate good friends. I'm thankful for good friends. I'm thankful for people that are not fair-weather friends, but they're with me all the time. I talked to a few of them this morning. It's kind of a normal thing that I do on Sunday morning, usually very early on Sunday morning. I'm in a text thread with a few other friends who happen to be pastors, and we'll all just kind of encourage one another. I am thankful for friends. Friends that will be with you in good times and friends that will be with you in bad times. When you're feeling like a million bucks and when you feel like your account is overdrawn. They are with you. Such was a man by the name of Annas Ferris. Everybody say Annas Ferris. Paul is in prison for a second time in Rome, and this very special friend comes to him. And he does several important things in the life of the Apostle Paul. Now remember, Paul is imprisoned in Rome. He's not sitting free in a church service like you and I are in. But as, as this wonderful friend comes to Paul, the Bible says, first of all, in 2 Timothy chapter number 1, he refreshed him. Everybody say refreshed him. Don't you like being around people that refresh you? Now don't point, but have you ever been around somebody that drains you? You leave their presence and you think, I need a prayer meeting right now. <laughs> or a nap. But this man refreshed Paul. Secondly, he was not ashamed of his chain. That's what Paul said. He wasn't ashamed that his friend was in prison. Thirdly, when he arrived in Rome, where Paul was in prison, he sought Paul out zealously, I love the way the Bible says that, sought him out zealously and found him. That's 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 17. 
And in many ways, he ministered to Paul the same even before his imprisonment. When they were in Ephesus together, this friend did the same thing. So it wasn't like a publicity stunt. It wasn't a photo op that he was trying to get. He was a true friend. Now I want you to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. In light of all of that explanation about this very dear friend of Paul's, Paul said this to now Timothy. He said, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Now, some of you who have been around this church for a while will have heard what I'm going to say in just a moment. But those of you that are new, allow me just to help all of us understand something about Scripture. Many times when we open our Bible, specifically in the New Testament, we will see a word that is kind of like a compound word, and it's the word therefore. Everybody say therefore. Therefore is not a, a word all by itself. It's a connecting word. And anytime you read the word therefore in the Scripture, it is there for a reason. And it connects something that has been said with something that is being said right now. And I want you to notice in our text just a few moments ago, in the very first verse of 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says to Timothy, you therefore, my son. In other words, I have told you in the closing few verses of the previous chapter. Now, I understand Paul wasn't referring to verses and chapters. That happened a long time after that. But just for sake of our understanding here today. He says, I just talked to you about this very dear friend. And I kind of laid out for you how valuable he is to me. And why he is valuable to me. So Timothy, therefore... In other words, because of the example that you have seen that I have just shared with you, I'm going to give you some things to live by. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ and understand that no one that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this world that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So with the help of the Lord for a few minutes this morning, I want to preach a sermon that has a simple title, and it is simply this, As for Me. I want you to say that with me, As for Me. Remember, the key to longevity of this sermon is asking ourselves, what is God saying to me from this sermon? So I hope that with the help of the Lord over the next few moments, we will be able to answer the question, as for me, this is what God is saying to me. As for me, now please, please, everybody, put your eyeballs on the short preacher's forehead right here. Please resist the urge to think this is for somebody else. You say, do people really do that, Pastor? Oh, yes, because I've done it. 
Brother Tom, I've heard people preach, and while they're preaching, I'm thinking, oh, Lord Jesus, I hope that, fill in the blank, is hearing what is being preached right now. But you know what let's do today? Let's put that aside. Whether they are here or not, let's let the Lord speak to us today. Let's let him speak and write upon our heart today. As for me, I want to hear what God is saying for me today. The first thing that Paul gives as really a command to Timothy is to be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Everybody say, be strong in grace. You and I can be strong in a lot of things. We can pump iron and curl dumbbells and and be strong. And there's people far stronger than I am in this room. But can I tell you something? If I'm going to be strong, I want to be a strong man, yes. I want to be able to turn a screwdriver, yes. I want to be able to change a tire, yes, with minimal discomfort. But if I'm going to be strong in something, I want to be strong in something far greater in eternal value than just muscles and brute strength. I want to be strong in the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. Grace, we sing about it, we teach about it. How about living in it? I've heard some say the grace of God, that's simple. That's the unmerited favor of God on undeserving men. I've heard that my whole life, and I'm not mocking that, but that is kind of the knee-jerk definition of grace that I've heard. Grace is the unmerited favor of God on undeserving men. It's a blessing that we do not deserve. But let me submit to this great congregation that I love so dearly today what I feel a better definition is to grace. Grace is the power that God gives to know and to do his will. The power that God gives to know and to do his will. How many of you know what it is that when grace first visited us, we didn't even know about grace. And we certainly hadn't experienced grace. But all of a sudden, after grace visited our house, and Calvary touched our life. We started having desires toward God that we had never had before. We started thinking things about God favorably that we had never thought about God before. You know what that is? That's the grace of God. The grace that helps us know God, know his will, and be able to do his will. Amen. In the book of Titus chapter 2, that same apostle Paul told another ministry colleague, he said, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And then he said to Titus, that grace teaches us. And it teaches and causes us to look for a blessed hope and glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. How easy it is without grace to get our eyes on this world. But when grace comes, it lifts our eyes and we start looking for Jesus. And we start looking for the appearing of Jesus. And we begin to see him everywhere. I, I, I saw it again in my spirit this morning. I was up here worshiping and I just kind of did a casual glance across New Life here in Cabot. And I saw the grace of God at work. 
because I saw some people that I know some of your stories and I know what life was like before you met Jesus Christ. And now after meeting Jesus Christ and after the grace of God has appeared, I see hands lifted up in the air and I see a voice lifted to heaven and I see worship coming forth. That's nothing but the grace of God. It's the power that God gives us to know him and to do his will. And Paul says to Timothy, be strong in that grace. I want to propose to this congregation that insecurity can be a blight on believers. Amen. Now, I will tell you that there's been mornings that y'all have preached back to me a little bit more than you're doing right now. <laughs> but that's all right. Because I'm just going to preach what I'm going to preach. And it lets me know that maybe it's hitting a little deep right now. But insecurity can be a real blight on believers. It can be something that spoils and something that damages this perpetual idea that God somehow takes joy in hiding his purpose from us. Or that it's noble for God's will to be veiled from us. Or that somehow there's a, there's a spiritual carrot that God is dangling in front of us. And every time we get close to it, he pulls it back. And says, I, I, I'm God, you're not, too bad. But I have come to preach, and I pray that God will help me to preach it from this Bible today. It is not God's will that his purpose be veiled to us. It is not God's will that we would be foggy all the time and in disarray all the time and perplexed all the time. We are his children, and he is our father, and he wants to give us the grace to know him and to do his will. The book of Hebrews chapter 11, that hallmark chapter, verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's in this verse that we see the definition of faith. Faith is believing that God is. How many of you believe God is? How many of you believe that the first sentence of the Bible proves that God is. In the beginning, God. He didn't have to wait for something. He was. He is. And he will be. We believe that God is. But there's another part to that verse. True faith is believing that God is, but that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. And so when I'm walking in his will and following his grace, I have to believe today that he wants to show me the path to take. He wants to reveal his will to me. Many times it comes incrementally. I've said it many times before. The will of God sometimes unfolds, many times unfolds bit after bit, after bit, after bit. I, I've shared this story, and I'll just briefly touch on it. If you had told me, if you had told me 30 years ago, just the fact that I'd be living in Arkansas, I would have laughed you. 
I would have laughed you right out of the vehicle, right out of the room, wherever we were having that conversation. I would have laughed you out of there. I had zero connection to Arkansas. Zero. Somebody asked me one time, how'd you get to Arkansas? Do you have family here? No. <laughs> had you traveled a lot and kind of liked the Ozarks? No. So I, I don't know about you. I have to chalk it up to God. And little by little, he let this unfold, and that unfold, and this unfold, and that unfold. What was that working? That was the grace of God working in my life to help me to know his will and then give me the power and the desire to do his will. Let, let me just say it right now. Please, let's not fall prey to this insecure idea that I don't know, I don't know God well enough and he must be... No, he wants to talk to us, brothers and sisters. Can I tell our new believers here right now, if you will put your hand in his hand and you will say, God, I am being strong in every bit of grace that I know to be strong in, he's going to lead us, he's going to guide us, he's going to direct us. There are some words that I'm trying to live by in prayer, and I felt to share them with you this morning. Talk, read, listen, act, repeat. It's kind of like the directions on the back of a shampoo bottle. Talk, read, listen, act, repeat. Talk, read, listen, act, repeat. Talk, read, listen, act, Repeat, what are you doing today, pastor? I'm talking to him. I'm listening to his voice. I'm reading his word. I'm acting on what he says. And then I'm repeating that again. What are you doing tomorrow, pastor? I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm talking to Jesus. I'm reading what his word has to say. I'm listening for his voice. I'm acting when he says do something. I'm acting on that. And that will produce a spiritual confidence that builds our spiritual life. Listen, young people, please hear pastor right now. It's not hooky spooky. It's not woo. It's not at all. It's talking to him, reading his word, listening to what he's saying, acting on what he's saying. That's where that gets us sometimes. We can talk to him. We can read his word. We can listen to what he says. But then when he asks something of us, I don't know about that. But have you ever thought this with me? When the Lord says something and gives us something that he's calling us to, if he says it, it's never wrong. I can tell him when I have to preach with myself today. When we stay in his word, and his word talks to us, and his word challenges me. You know what his word's been doing lately? It's been challenging me. But have you ever thought this? If he says it, if it's in that book and he declares it, it's never wrong. So I can trust to lean into that grace and be strong in that grace. It's amazing that that was the first thing that Paul said to Timothy. You see, you've heard this example. You've heard about my dear friend. Now, therefore, because of his example, be strong in the grace of God. Secondly, he said, commit what you've learned to faithful men who will teach. There exists a principle embedded in a well-worn passage that we find 
in the Old Testament. We talk a lot about it at Christmas time. It's in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. Name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I mean, that's a great verse. That speaks of our Savior. But then there's another verse, verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Everybody say, no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. Can I say to everybody in this house, congratulations. You are a part of a kingdom that never ends. Here's what Isaiah prophesied. He said there's going to come one who's going to be called Wonderful. He's the Counselor. He's the Mighty God. He's the Everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of His dominion, His reign, His authority, and His government, there shall be no end. He's going to establish it, and it'll be even forever. So I have a question in, in, in response to that wonderful passage in Isaiah. How will this increase, which never ends, happen? Will it just be separate from human involvement? Will it be something that in the ethereal, spooky realm just kind of happens? Or could it be that just like he uses us, to come to salvation. He will use us to continue the propelling of his kingdom forward. Could it be that he will use one generation to impart to another generation, to impart to another generation, to impart to another generation, and through this generational anointing and intentional generational impact, there will come a move of the Spirit and a dominion of the Spirit and an authority of God that will move far beyond my ability and my power and my anointing. I don't know if you saw this. I think some of you did, but in this choir, there's a bunch of adults, and then there's a bunch of students in this choir. And I thank God for that, Brother Dennis. I am so grateful that we have got 14-year-olds and 15-year-olds and 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds that are standing up in a choir in front of God and everybody and lifting up their voice and declaring that He is the one that makes us dance in the Spirit. He's the one that puts a shout in us. He's the one that directs us. He's the one that guides us. Come on, folks, we can't let this stop with one generation. we got to pass it on and pass it on and pass it on and pass it on. Oh, I'm preaching for generations here today. I'm preaching for somebody that wishes 25 years from now that this church is more powerful than it is right now. I'm preaching for some elders in this house that want to rise up and say, you know what? This thing's got to go on. It's got to go on. It's got to get greater. It's got to get more powerful. I'm going to tell you something. I have a pretty good investment in this church. I'm not saying that to brag. But I got a lot stored up in this church. But I do not want the greatest days of this church 
to be when I am leading this church. I want it to be when somebody else and that generation and that generation is leading this church. I want to commit it to faithful men and let it go on and on and on and on. Come on, do I have some elders in this house that would say, you know what, I'm going to cheer on the next generation. I'm going to cheer on the students. Are there some grandparents in this house that would say, come on, Nexus students, you can do it. You can make it. You can be used by God. I see Brother Odell standing. You blessed me, Brother Odell, by standing and preaching with me. This man for years has been with me. I remember him telling me when I was in college, he said, there's going to come a day when you're going to preach at the general conference. And when you preach at the general conference, I'm just going to wave at you. He said, you don't have to really point me out or anything, but just know I'm in your corner and I'm backing you up. So Lord, be in my helper in a few months. I'm going to go to the general conference. And on Wednesday night, I'm going to lift up my voice and preach to the best of God's ability through me. And I know that man right there is going to be waving at me. But you hear this preacher right now. It's not just about Brother Gaddy preaching at General Conference. I want some of you young students to grow up and get a hold of a ministry and let the kingdom of God go through you and course through you. And you're going to have a pastor. You're going to have a preacher standing behind you say, Go get it. Go get it. You're going to be used by God. Come on, you gotta, gotta give it to faithful men. You gotta impart it to faithful men. You gotta put it in the hands of faithful men. Let them take it and run with it. So here's the question we have to ask ourselves What are we learning? Because Paul told Timothy the things you've learned, commit them to faithful men who will teach. What are you learning? Number two, who are we teaching? What is the outlet for our learning? Are we just enamored by the learning process or are we committing what we have learned to the next generation? Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians 4 and 9, the things which you have learned and the things which you have received and the things which you have heard and the things that you have seen in me, these do and the peace of God will be with you. Rather, the God of peace, I want to quote that correctly, the God of peace will be with you. I want you to notice what Paul said, the things you've learned, that's education. The things that you have received, that's impartation. The things that you have heard, that's reputation. The things that you have seen, that's replication. All of those things... Do those things. Do those things. I'm going to make a statement that I've made one other time in this church, but I feel under the unction of the Lord to say this right now. And I say this with all the humility that I know how to muster up right now. Young people, when you are looking at how to live for God, follow me as I follow Christ. Come here, Brother Jace. Come here, Sister Lexi. 
When you're wanting to figure out how to live, how to go about your life, what practices to put into your life, what habits to build in your life, follow them as they follow Christ. I remember reading that. And Brother Hold, I remember reading Apostle Paul, and I remember used to think, wow, that's, that's kind of arrogant. Follow me as I follow Christ. And all of a sudden, one day it dawned on me. They're watching somebody. This generation and, and the, the young adult generation, they're looking at somebody. And I don't want them looking at somebody that doesn't believe that word. And I don't want you enamored with the social quest of people that live apart from that word. So with everything inside of me, I'm wanting you to take what you have and model it after a holy previous generation. We're going to impart it to you. We're going to give it to you and let you lead. Praise God. Y'all can be seated. I love, give our student pastors a great hand. We love them. I made a statement at our district conference. Everybody okay today? I just feel really at home, probably because I am. But I made a, a statement at our district conference a few weeks ago, and, and it was this. I am not against tenure, because if I was against tenure... I wouldn't have pastored here for 23 years. <laughs> so I hope that proves I'm not against tenure. But neither do I think anybody should ever get a stronghold on the kingdom. And somehow it becomes my kingdom. And my ideas that had, there are people in this room right now that we haven't seen what you can bring to the kingdom yet. There's a mining process that the Holy Spirit is doing and bringing things that will produce something in the kingdom that we have not seen to this point. He said, take what you've learned and pass it on to faithful men who will be able to teach. Let me hit two more things and I'm done. Thirdly, he said, Timothy, you have to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I want you very kindly to look at someone near you right now and say, would you please buck up? <clears throat> Adam, can I give you this? Thank you. I didn't say buck up cupcake. I just said buck up. Here's what Paul said. And by the way, what I'm going to get to preach here for the next couple of minutes I promise you, it's not going to make you jump over chairs. And you're probably not going to be on your feet waving at me right now. But Paul said this to Timothy, his colleague that was coming up in ministry. You need to learn how to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He said, Timothy, I want you to understand that sometimes you have to suffer as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul did not have violence in mind but rather the attitude of a well-trained soldier. Everybody look right here. We can expect conflict in living for God. I don't know where we got this idea sometimes that when really, it really is God, 
It's just all That just isn't found in Scripture, folks. Think about this with me. Somebody in here, I, I know because I know some of the testimonies in here. You used to be addicted to chemicals and addicted to substances and lying and cheating. And all of us were in, born in sin and shaping in iniquity. And because of Calvary and because of that grace that appeared to all men, Jesus has come and we are born again. It's not just a little touch. It's a complete rebirth. And now we used to be the, the weapon of hell, but now because of Calvary, we become part of the kingdom of God. Do you think for a second that the devil's going to sit back and say, well, I thought I had Jesse, but I guess I'll just leave him alone now. He's going to constantly try to get at us and make us fall and bring conflict into our life. But oh, that there would be some men and women in this house that would square your shoulders back and say, devil, if that's what you're going to do, bring it on. Because I am going to endure that. I'm not going to give over to that. I'm not going to get despondent. Everybody say, we can expect conflict. Think about this with me. When the children of Israel came to the promised land, they did not waltz in the promised land. They had to conquer the promised land. We have to fight against a when we get there mentality. Oh, when I finally get to that place that I can really pray, it'll all be good. No, oh, come on. I've been at several graduations lately. Some of you need to tweet this later today. New birth is not a graduation. See, some of you are tweeting it right now. I know you know what you're doing. New birth is not a graduation. New birth is an invitation to conquer rather than be conquered. New birth is an invitation to war according to the spirit rather than according to our flesh conquering us every time we fall. New birth is an invitation to overcome selfish tendencies with kingdom tendencies. Overcome urges that were dominated by our flesh and now we let the Holy Spirit help us. We've got a lot of military men and women in this room right now. Consider this with me for every one of them. Military personnel focus on their mission, not their unrelated concerns. They leave the greater planning, as well as the details of food and housing, up to their commander. So that they can focus on why they joined. And that's to fight and to defend this great country. It is in this next verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that it further develops this concept. Ephesus was a Roman military city during the time of Paul and Timothy. And the image of a soldier would have been very familiar to Timothy, as well as to other believers in Ephesus. Many times Paul was in contact, doubtlessly, with Roman soldiers while he was imprisoned in Rome. And so he knew what he was talking about when he said to Timothy, you have to... Endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. God makes us through the difficult times. He perfects some things in us during the difficult times. When we endure, something is being formed in us. How many know that's true? If we'll yield to it, the hard times, the hardship... The endurance can form something in us. 
I want to ask our musicians to come and, and just play something, and I'm, I'm, I'm coming to a close. Paul, in this passage, and I, I'm certainly not going to give this passage its due in just one sermon, but he also says something very profound that I want to close with today. He continued this military theme after talking to Timothy about enduring hardship as a good soldier of Jesus. And he said, don't entangle yourself with affairs of this life when you are engaged in warfare. We've had several that in this church uh, have been deployed. We just prayed over Zach last week. He's, he's heading out on assignment. I want to make sure, and I'm not in the military. I don't have any decision-making power in the military. But I want to make sure that when men and women are outside the borders of Arkansas or even inside the borders of Arkansas and they're defending my freedom, that I can free them up as much as possible to do that important work so they don't have to worry about the menial things. I don't want someone defending my freedom in a hot spot around the world also on their phone trying to pay their phone bill. I want them freed up And I know that's a kind of a, a, a real life example, maybe a little humorous example. But Paul says when you are in warfare, make sure you're not entangled. Entangled means everywhere. It's around you. It's through you. It's kind of holding you up. It's making you hostage. Don't entangle yourself with the affairs or the arrangement of this world. I remember when I was a kid, we used to sing an awful lot about this. The closer we get to the Lord... The things of this world get in the rearview mirror, more dim. Why? Because I'm going after him. I'm pursuing him. I'm fighting a good fight. No wonder Paul said, hey, Timothy, when you're engaged in warfare, don't entangle with the cares of this world, the affairs of this world, the arrangement of this world. So you know what that tells me? And I'm just going to be real frank with us today. If I am so caught up in the affairs of this world, that is proof positive that I'm not waging a good warfare. Because if I'm waging a good warfare in the kingdom, I'm letting those things go. And I'm focusing on him. I want you to stand with me. <clears throat> Praise God. Praise God. I've told some of y'all I have a journal that I keep in prayer, and <clears throat> the Lord spoke to me about those four things on April the 13th, so a little over a month ago. And most of what the Lord speaks to me never makes its way to this pulpit. It's just for me. But it was recently the Lord said, I want you to go back, I want you to hear what I said to you. And now's the time I want you to preach it to this church. So I've done my best today to give you what I felt from the Lord. 
I want you just to bow your head. Would you do that? Lord, I trust that you're speaking in this room right now. I've done my best, God, to just share with this congregation what you've shared with me, and I do trust you right now, God. I do trust you, Lord. I trust your spirit to speak to people, wonderful people, God. People that are trying, many who are trying to fight the good fight of faith. Let us not be weary in that, Lord. Let us continue to fight the good fight. To not be entangled, not be encumbered, not be bound up with the arrangement of this world when we're in warfare. I pray in Jesus' name that you will take this sermon that's been preached today. Let it go forward from this place. And let us answer the question, God, what are you saying to me to do with this sermon today? Let it live on, I pray, beyond this Sunday morning. And I thank you for that, Lord. Praise God. There's been such a, such a great anointing in this house today. There's been such a spirit of the Lord that's been so real today. I'm here thankful for that. Do you, you sense that right now? You just sense that, that abiding presence of God? We're going to pray for one more thing here in just a moment. But I wish you would just lift up your voice. Some of you that are old timers. You've heard this song that Brother Dennis is playing right now. It's a great song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Sing it with me. Look full. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely in the light of his glory if you want to do that in prayer right now sing it out as a prayer to him oh turn turn your eyes upon jesus look full in his face oh yes in his wonderful face hallelujah and the things the things of this world 